Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello, I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up, it's Deja Vu, as we react to yet another great night in Paris for Manchester United, beating Paris Saint-Germain once again, this time 2-1 in their own backyard. It was a result that was just what the doctor ordered. That's uh, Dr. Marcus Rashford, MBE for you. Joining me to revel in this glory, as ever, is Laurie Whitwell, my fellow Manchester United beat reporter from The Athletic. Laurie, how was that for you? That was great, wasn't it, Carl? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously watching it on TV, unlike Andy, who was there in Paris, I'm sure he'll he'll give us uh, some great nuggets from his experience. But just, you know, I, th- I thought the, 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 the team selection for Molly was uh, really astute. It sort of seemed to make sense, you know, the back three and, and all the players fitting into those roles. Really composed, actually. I know there was a, a bit of a hairy moment at, at 1-1, but, um, you know, I love the fact that he then brought on Paul Pogba and actually went for the win. I think he could sense that PSG really were there for the taking and actually it could have been a bit more emphatic if there'd been a bit more composure, but brilliant finish from Rashford. You know, his hardest chance of the night to make it 2-1. I think he really deserved victory in the end. Andy Mitten was indeed in Paris watching the game live, so I'll give him his full introduction. He's the editor of United We Stand. He's contributing right to The Athletic. He tells some of the finest Manchester United stories I've ever heard. Andy, how was that result for you? It was absolutely fantastic. I've just walked back to my hotel. It's not stopped raining all day in Paris. There's a curfew going on after 9pm. And I didn't expect that performance. I always watch United with optimism at the start of every game that they play. And sometimes that optimism can vanish. But I thought United started really well. They very well in the first half. And PSG were well off the pace. Deserved the lead, deserved to be a goal up at half-time. And when PSG equalised, I thought, oof, they're going to come strong now. But the way United reacted throughout the team, De Gea was fantastic, Axel Tuanzebi was fantastic. The whole team were brilliant. Marcus Rashford, as Laurie said, took a difficult chance to win again in Paris in the rain. And it's a surprise result. I've just spoke to both managers after the game and their reactions were pretty much as, as you would expect. But it's a fantastic result for Manchester United. They're now 18 games unbeaten away from Old Trafford, apart from at neutral venues. And United really seem to have, a, have one over Paris uh, away for a moment. This is a PSG team who've got some of the best players in the world, who reached the Champions League final, and they've just been beaten by Manchester United. The only shame of it was... It was, it was a shell of a stadium. That is one of the most atmospheric grounds in world football. And has long been that way, even before Paris came into money. And there were probably 100 people in, in the stadium. That journalists couldn't come over from the UK. I came from Spain, so I was, I was able to. And there was this delightful moment where when Rashford scored, these two gentlemen to my left started going crazy. I thought, what's their story? I'd never seen them before in my life. And I started talking to them and... They're both Parisians, and uh, one of them, they were twins, one of them is the captain of the French blind national team, 
and he was invited to the stadium as a guest and it was with his brother <laughs> it was just a lovely little moment to see these lads who tell me that the dream of going to Old Trafford so excited to to see Manchester United win the match that's amazing right Listener, we will get into just exactly how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did this tactical masterclass to beat Paris Saint-Germain. But first order of business, reminding you of the fantastic Manchester United writing we've got over on The Athletic right now. We're covering United's past, present and future. And he's had a fantastic conversation with Morgan Schneiderlin covering his time at Southampton, at Everton and of course what exactly went on on the Louis van Gaal at Manchester United. Uh, I've got really confused writing about both the defence and the midfield options at Manchester United. And Laurie's had another really great recap of the last time Manchester United lost 6-1, among other things going forward. Access is currently £1 per month to new subscribers, so all you have to do is go over to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up and get some of the best Manchester United writing in English language. And it will also include a tactical breakdown of what just happened on Tuesday night. Hooray! Right then, gentlemen, let's talk about what happened over those 90 minutes. Uh, Laurie, you and I were texting on and off throughout <laughs> the game. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was around about maybe like a half hour moment where we both went, I'm enjoying this, which mm. wasn't really the case where we were at when uh, an hour before kickoff when the lineups were announced. It was It was a weird lineup at first, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a weird one. I did actually think he might go, you know, sort of back five. I know it's sort of uh, in a hindsight after the event and you can call me an after-timer as, as uh, you know, is, is well known uh, for sort of claiming credit for something that you never actually said before the game. But it's the people that I was chatting to, I sort of said, you know, listen, I can see the back five and Luke Shaw playing that centre-back role. Um, I, I sort of uh, plugged my Luke Shaw centre-back uh, piece from a while ago because, you know, obviously he's played there before and done really well, actually. And I, I sort of seemed, I thought this could be a night for, for him and, and Alex Tellers on the left to, to make his debut. And it, I don't know, it just sort of sent, it, it made sense to me. The Twan Zabi thing was a surprise, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't aware that he was ready to go start a game. He played, uh, you know, he had his first full training session um, since his sort of, you know, recurring injuries that he's had during the international break. And wow, he, he performed magnificently. We know what he can bring, you know, his speed, his sort of timing of, of a tackle and, um, you know, kind of his composure really. But to do that against Kylian Mbappe uh, was, was something else really and yeah as you say you know we're kind of a bit uncertain and and that's what you know I think think back to last time United won in Paris totally different situation obviously mm-hmm. totally different team the injuries affected the lineup that Solskjaer could produce that time but this actually felt like a side that you could see put out again away in Europe you know you know Alex Ferguson had a you know situation where he would you know play three midfield away from Europe and he kind of realized that actually just being a bit more compact and you know keeping things tight to begin with wasn't a bad thing and, and that seems to be what Solskjaer decided to go with you know obviously it took uh, Lindelof to have a really good game Shaw, Twanzebi all three of them at the back but then also Wan-Bissaka's one-on-one defending was superb and Tellez was a real threat on that left and I think you had the you know we, we spoke about McTominay and Fred didn't we you know that the the energy and the kind of um, intensity that they brought against Newcastle and speaking actually to uh, Eric Steele for, for that 6-1 piece that you mentioned he he said to me before the Newcastle game he wanted to see McTominay back in because he just thought that he brought so much you know drive and energy in midfield and, and that's what perhaps United lacked against Spurs so I could see the benefit of doing that against PSG again when you've got if you can win that midfield battle, you're kind of halfway there because that can turn off Neymar. You know, Neymar in particular, if he's not having a great night, he's not necessarily the player. He's a fantastic player, but he's not necessarily the one that you know will wrestle a game in his in his will. Mbappe 
the, the skill that he produced for that De Gea save was marvellous. But again, it's not he's not necessarily the player that would you know seize a game and, and make his own you know all by himself. So I think winning that midfield battle was important. And then you know as we saw the, the kind of quick ball into into Rashford was a, was a great outlet time and again as you say we were texting each other you know getting pretty pretty pleased with what we were seeing and, and I just think that it could. You know, that without getting ahead of myself, I think that could be a system or at least, you know, the style of play that, that suits United well in Europe. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it's one possibly to play every single week. I think United's victory owed a little bit to David De Gea being yep. David De Gea of old. Uh, and it also relies a little bit on those counterattacks. But there is definitely something there that can work in Europe and against some of the bigger sides. Laurie, you'll be uh, covering United's game against Chelsea on the weekend. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some repetitions in patterns, if not necessarily personnel. Andy, you were in Paris. You saw all three stages of United there. You saw the 5-3-2. You saw Fred and Scott McTominay run around. You saw the quick change to the midfield diamond when Paul Pogba came on. And then you saw the final stage where Dan James and uh, Donny van der Beek helped sharp shop. What was your favourite thing watching and why is it Alex Talese's corners? <laughs> I thought he was actually quite rusty the first couple of minutes and then he hit a ball and was like, wow, I've not seen them for a while. <laughs> so that was that was another big plus. And with regard to the, to the tactics, as you both touched on, um, Oli said uh, he probably will go with it again. I thought it was intelligent the way that he did it. He described it as a, a three or a five at the back. And I'd asked him about David De Gea because I felt that he was one of United's best players. He made some great saves. He's coming back into form. And Ollie was pretty effusive about all of the players, as he might well be. Uh, even the substitutes came on. I think uh, Pogba looked a little bit uh, leggy when he first came on, but then he got into the game and... I think he put the ball out to Rashford. And I might be sounding a little bit unsure here because you've probably seen more than me. I was in, in the stadium. I didn't have any screens. I couldn't see any any replays. And um, it, it was highly convincing throughout. Fred did well. McTominay did well. Ollie said that they both played well at Newcastle. So that was a factor in, in those two um, being brought up. As Laurie said about Luke Shaw, one of his best games was in a free at, at Chelsea. Away last um, away last season, Tuchel was quite interesting because he felt his preparation for the game had been uh, okay, good, not perfect. He felt that the missing players had altered the structure of his team. But he said something which intrigued me that he was a bit quiet in the dressing room before the match. The music wasn't at its usual volume. It wasn't my place, he said, to interrupt and try and force things. So. Maybe those players knew that the mighty Manchester United were going to be on them once again in the rain in Paris because there's got to be some reason why they didn't perform to the normal levels. I know that there were um, there were moments where Mbappe showed his pace and, and Neymar, but when I saw Axel Twanzebe in the first half get the better, I think it was of um, Mbappe, I just thought, wow, wow, it's going to be one of them nights. But then when PSG equalised, I was going, I'll settle for a draw. Just just blow the whistle now, settle for a draw, settle for a draw. But then the, the, it, it was like the last time United were here and when United did have other chances, they kept attacking. Um, I don't think Marcus and, uh, and Anthony always combined as well as they could do. They were quite often quite far apart from each other when 
they're much better when they're closer together. But United had chances throughout, and Bruno was captain. Good game. He was very vocal tonight, and on the side, it was quite interesting. Michael Carrick was very vocal as well. It wasn't just Oli Gunnar. So, lots of really encouraging signs there this evening, and the way that tactically Oli called it right because he's not been short of critics of people who accuse him of being tactically not in the same class as some of the best managers in the world, and they can argue that point, but he can quite. Uh, reasonably argue that he's beaten PSG away twice, Manchester City away twice last season, Chelsea away twice last season. The problem seems to be at Old Trafford where the form is nowhere near as good as it should be. I'll, I'll hold my hands up to this one. I've, I've often called uh, Oli uh, tactics light uh, and questioned his plan B. But what he has de- demonstrated here is a really, really good plan B. Um, one of the key bring-ins was Axel Twainzebe which I thought he was phenomenal. There was a little heart-in-mouth moment I had when he shrugged and Mbappe off the ball and I thought he gave away a penalty, but it was so confident and assured. I went, oh God, yeah, yeah. Who needs to spend 80 million on a day at Upper Mancana? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Andy, I was in the Zoom call, so I had a little corner perspective as uh, Karen did her very best to feed questions from Ollie via text message. You were in the room. What else did Ollie say post-match after that victory? Well, I gave Karen her uh, Wi-Fi pass so she could get into Zoom so that you could watch that. So I've done my bit for the team tonight in, in <laughs> Paris. Um, it, he, uh, he ran through pretty much every player. He was very satisfied without getting carried away because I think he knows he's been criticised quite a lot recently. And, and with good reason when you lose 6-1 at home to Tottenham and you lose at home against Crystal Palace. What he's got to get now is is more consistency because away from home, United results have been good, but it is still like a roller coaster. It is only a couple of weeks since that Tottenham match. And then Newcastle was, was very good, especially towards the end. And tonight in Paris was very good as well. And you can see that he doesn't, even though he's, there is a roller coaster in terms of the results, Ollie's pretty steady. There's times when I think he feels the pressure a little bit, but I think he handles pressure quite well but there's been a lot of talk about possible replacements for him uh, if the home form continues to be as bad as it has been but he cut a satisfied figure uh, as 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 any manager would do having gone away to Paris and, and got a win I think if he would have got a draw he could have cut an equally satisfied figure but he praised pretty much every individual he explained his tactics and why he did um, what he did and didn't say too much about uh, PSG other than to say that his own defenders defended really well against them. He also mentioned one player played one and a half with just one eye, but I he couldn't did. quite make it. Who's that? <laughs> that was uh, Scott McTominay because his contact lens had fallen out in the first half. So <laughs> <laughs> that was quite interesting. Um don't know whether any of you lads wear contact lenses, but if one of mine fell out, <laughs> I just I can't I wouldn't be able to see. So the fact that he's played and played well alongside Fred, I'm not sure how strong Scott's contact lenses are, but 
it's almost better to have none in rather than one. I don't know whether he's short or long-sighted. I'm not going to get too technical like I'm an optician here, but <laughs> fair play to Scott McTominay for pulling that performance out, and I'm glad he carried some spare contact lenses, unless he miraculously found it on the Parc de Prince turf. Fair play. <laughs> Us being the athletic, we will now try and find out if he's short or long-sighted, because that, that's, that's just the sort of articles we do. Um, <laughs> I want to just say... Can we just play Paris Saint-Germain every week? That was fun. They're um, trying to, aren't they, I suppose? I know. <laughs> yeah. it, is a, it is a condensed fixture list. Uh, as I'm currently talking, it is Chelsea on the weekend. Then it is Red Bull Leipzig. Sorry. Rassenball Sport Leipzig. Uh, then <laughs> Arsenal. Uh, then it is Istanbul Besiktas. Uh, forgive me if I got the pronunciation wrong there. And then it is, I want to say, Everton. Mm. Yeah. Then it is Everton. That's a big gauntlet. That's a lot of games. But suddenly Manchester United seem as if they have options again. You, it looks as if Manchester United can bring Paul Pogba off the bench. Harry Maguire didn't play on this game. He didn't travel. As, I think there's a hamstring niggle. Um, Donny van der Beek still has not started for Manchester United. There's Dan James, who's offering a lot more now. Edison Cavani hasn't played yet either. Can two wins in a row make everything seem all peachy and rosy. Laurie, we're going to be hopping back and forth over these games in the next couple of weeks. Uh, what are you expecting to see on Saturday? Well, a similar kind of performance, I think. I, you know, listen, as Andy says, you know, you can't ignore the 6-1 defeat. You know, that was a, a very chasing afternoon and there were some serious questions to be asked around the team and, and even Solskjaer, you know, as to how that, that happened. Um, you know, accepting that we are in extreme circumstances, well, extraordinary circumstances rather. So, um, but listen, the response has been magnificent and I think the performance away at Newcastle everyone was looking at thinking that could be a tricky one you know given what happened last season um, and actually United going behind as well again in unfortunate circumstances I mean you know United have scored a couple of goals for the opposition in the last two games so if they can stop doing that then that, that, you know, the results will be even better but um, but the way they actually came back and you know, they didn't sink did they they came back and, and um, you know, won very convincingly in the end with some sublime football really when you look at that Bruno goal uh, and the Rashford goal, you know, really slick stuff. Um, and again, you know, you know, away to PSG, you know, going one-one in unfortunate circumstances. Um, you know, I'm not really sure what Anthony Marshall was trying to do at the near post there. If that's what he's liable of doing, maybe we should switch him away from uh, being the near post guy. But you know, they could have sunk, and actually, they responded really well. So, it also has this habit of producing big results in pressured moments when he's being questioned. And I don't. It's happened so many times now in a row. And you speak about the away wins you know it's 10 away wins you know on the bounce you know a sort of club record and these sort of a, we can pluck these every now and again out of the bag these sort of, sort of stats that, that stand up to scrutiny over history but you know I think that is a, a significant one and it they happen so frequently that you can't dismiss Solskjaer as being naive tactically you know I think you can question sometimes some of the stuff he says in press conferences that is a little bit awkward but I think he knows well, he obviously knows football extremely well, and I think he knows his squad very well. And it's just a case of getting them all fit and get, and getting them on the pitch and, and getting the morale and the, and the momentum going. Because once they do get going, you know that they go on these runs. So I, I, you know, hopefully they're playing Chelsea at the right time because you know you look at them. You know, Chelsea tonight, nil-nil against Sevilla. Uh, by all accounts, a pretty 
uh, turgid afternoon. You know, Southampton obviously got at them um, at Stamford Bridge in their last game in the Premier League. So you feel like there's going to be opportunities there for Manchester United, like there was against PSG. I can sort of see a similar game, perhaps, really. Um, whether or not Solskjaer sticks with the back three or changes it back to a back four, I would imagine Harry Maguire comes back in because I, I guess that the fact that he was left out of this game was probably more precautionary rather than um, anything that was was major. But you know, I guess we'll we'll see on that one in the you know later in the week. Perhaps you know two games in a few days for Twanzebi might be too much after ten months without playing a game, um, albeit he put in a pretty superhuman performance. So um, you know, th- there's decisions as you say, Carl. He's he's got he's got options, hasn't he? And I suppose it's just almost the, the big matches. He said it before, you know, the Newcastle game, you know, Solskjaer, that, that these are the matches that you should be wanting to play as a Manchester United player. And actually they've they've responded well in the first two. You know, let's see if they can do it, you know, again against Chelsea on Saturday. I, I feel like they're in a, a good place to do so. Andy, what do you want to see in terms of personnel this weekend? I want to see United stop being a team where when things are going well, they lose. And when things... And the mood is in a really bad place, like it was when we did the last podcast. United come and get the result, which nobody expects. If you're going to be a consistent trophy-winning team, then you've got to be just that. And I felt after the bad run in January when Bruno came, United did get the consistency uh, back. And the last two away matches have been really encouraging, but got to start winning games at Old Trafford. There's the Chelsea game at Old Trafford. There's the Arsenal game at Old Trafford. And I hope that a nervousness doesn't creep in at Old Trafford because we need explanations as why United lost against Palace and then against Tottenham. I know that Oli felt his team had had a terrible pre-season. Uh, they had four days together. Normally they would expect 26 games together. And that's fair point, but other teams didn't have a perfect pre-season either. And there's no forgiving a 6-1 win against um, Tottenham. I thought he made a, a big call to drop Pogba, uh, but it was the right call. If you're not playing well, then you should be dropped. And one thing he's wanted is competition all over the pitch. And mm-hmm. you can see Alex Telles come in and suddenly Luke Shaw starts playing better. He wants pressure on every single player. I think De Gea's had a good week. And is that because Dean Henderson is there ready to step in, having played well when he's been given his chance? If you throw in Cavani now, mm-hmm. then there's pressure for all the forward players too because when I was writing about this game a couple of days ago, my focus was on Cavani. I thought he might get a chance, might come off the bench. But I know United are not going to rush him because he's not played a lot of football. But everyone I've spoken to in Paris today, football people, they spoke glowingly of Cavani. So... Potentially, it's really exciting. And with other teams faltering a little bit, you never know with this United side. So the mood is swinging up and down all the time, but there's got to be a level of consistency because it's a really, really tough run and there's two games a week. It's pretty unrelenting, but it does look like there's a squad coming together to be able to compete for those matches. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In terms of talking about the up and downs of the squad, we do unfortunately need to talk about some players who will be unavailable for games going forward. Um, it was confirmed by Lugano Solskjaer after the game against PSG that Eric Bayer will be out for three to four weeks due to a muscle injury, another unfortunate injury to the centre-back there. Also, the Premier League and Champions League squads have been announced for Manchester United for the season going forward. Um, not too many notable omissions or additions to the squad, apart from the omission of Phil Jones and Sergio Romero out of the Premier League squad. Uh, and then on top of that, in the Champions League squad, it's Phil Jones, Sergio Romero and Marcos Rojo who miss out of the Champions League squad. Um, Laurie, we were talking about this sort of mid-afternoon uh, about where Phil Jones stands now. Uh, we're talking about the rise of Axel Twenzebi on one hand, but we're also, Eric Bai is going to be injured for a little bit and Phil Jones seems to be in a grey area, so to speak. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, as Solskjaer's mentioned before, there's been injuries recurring. Um, I'm led to believe he had a sort of knee procedure over the summer to try and sort it out, and it originally looked good, but actually, um, I think he won't be back until sort of November time. So when you're looking at you know, the January window or you know the fact that you can you know, re-register your Premier League squad at the halfway stage, it's not that long a gap uh, to do so. So it's kind of like a pragmatic decision, I guess, from Solskjaer's behalf, but also, you know... <sighs> It, would he would he want to you know leave out Twanzebi from that squad or or anybody else? I, I suppose it was either Rojo or Jones, and, and Rojo's fit right now. He was training with the team this week, so that's that's the way it goes. And also he's a left-footed centre half, so you know uh, perhaps another option in that regard. Sergio Romero, you know, is an interesting one. I feel for him really because you know he, I think he expected to be you know starting the games against Sevilla and Chelsea in the you know semi-finals of the cup competitions in the last season didn't and then also Henderson was brought back and there was no communication to him we spoke about this before where you know I think uh, you know kind of a sit down with him and just you know to explain this is what's going to happen would uh, have gone a long way and, and he you know he wants to leave the club and, and United turned down a, a you know a bid from Everton a loan bid for a couple of million pounds um, plus the coverage of his of his wages which mm-hmm. uh, to me seemed a good deal he's got a year left so I can see why United wouldn't want to uh, you know lose him and then obviously they'd lose him on a free at the end of, of the season they, they apparently value him you know, around eight million but I think given the fact that you're not going to play him at all. You know, the Premier League has made that clear now with the squad that, you know, he's not going to play at all. So that's money that's not going into your team. It seems an odd one to do so. A few people, when I tweeted this, a few people said to me, you know, well, why would you strengthen a rival? You know, Everton's seen as a Champions League rival. But I mean, my point back to that would be, you know, if, if you're worried about strengthening Everton, you know, with a, you know, your third choice goalkeeper, it's not really a great position to be in. And also, you know, he wouldn't play against United when he was playing for Everton, you know, given the loan situation. So, you know, I would have thought that that would be a sensible deal for everyone to do. But listen, you know, he's not in the 
Premier League squad, so um, I guess that's boxed off for the time being. But you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, there's the MLS window is still open, so that that could still be an avenue for him. But there we go. Um, but the main thing is that it was a, a good night in Paris. Uh, so I think we should end on a positive note, right? Um, rather than my my uh, <laughs> my doom and gloom. Um, but yeah, I think you know, looking ahead to Saturday, it'd be a really interesting match. Solskjaer's, you know, shown that he's got Lampard's number a few times, albeit you know that FA Cup semi final was a, a a low point. So let's see how they've reacted to that one it is and let's end on the high point Andy you're currently in Paris you don't have to quarantine upon return because you're constantly travelling which I think is quite nice for you so tell me what are you going to do in Paris tomorrow all the tourist attractions are like really quiet so I went up to the top of the Eiffel Tower today just turned up and and went up (laughs) it Um, as for the quarantine thing I feel like a hamster on a wheel Um, I I have to keep on travelling um to to keep any privileges that i've got although going back from uh, france to spain i can do that i'm looking at the trip to istanbul in a couple of weeks i'm not even sure if journalists are going to be allowed in yet um, there was actually one united fan who came to paris from manchester walked around the stadium bought a copy of Le Keep and uh had to be back in his hotel by by nine o'clock Oh, I won't embarrass Kevin by naming him, but most people who go to the matches know exactly who he is. It'd be just good to get a win at Old Trafford. I know that the coaches felt against Newcastle that the midfield occasionally was a little bit too sloppy and lost the ball. And if they did that against better teams like PSG, then they would be punished more readily. But then all that convention goes out the window when United go to Paris and absolutely smash them and win 2-1 and... We've had a wonderful night. I'd like to say that I'm going to um, the Moulin Rouge or I'm going out clubbing until six o'clock in the morning, but this isn't the world we're living in right now. But at least we know one thing is constant. Manchester United will keep having the best of Paris Saint-Germain. Thank you, listener, for joining us for another episode of Talk of the Devils. Uh, It's been great to have you here. It's also been great to talk to Laurie. You too, Carl. You too, Andy. It's been fantastic to talk to Andy as ever. Cheers, Laurie. Cheers, Carl. And it's always been great to talk about Manchester United, especially when they're winning. Thank you so much, listener, uh, for joining us for an episode of Talk of the Devils. We'll be back sometime next week. Feel free to join us then. Goodbye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.